All right. Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is March of 2018. See how I remembered that date or that that month and the first time right away there? Go me. Well well done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is uh, three, no, two DMs this time around talking about their games and helping each other out. Uh, Sam was unable to make it. Uh, the semester caught up with him. He's a, uh, a professor. Uh, and so... He, uh, he he had to do stuff, uh, and I completely understand. But we're going to go forward without him. Just Mike and I, which means, uh, Mike, when you go over your time by, like, half an hour, uh, that'll be about perfect. Ow! <laughs> it's always me. It's, it's always you. No, it's not. It's all. It's always all of us. That's why we only give, our, give ourselves 15 minutes and then feel good about the fact that we're going to get a good hour-long show at least. Right. So... <laughs> Uh, speaking of a good hour-long show, first up, uh, this episode is supposed to be Sam, uh, and yet there is no Sam. So uh, I'm actually before we get into our our bits, our our what we're what we're going to talk about or whatever. Uh, I want to mention our sponsor, NobleKnight.com. Noble Knight is an in-person physical st- uh, store, but also an online store that specializes in finding out-of-print products, but carries all the latest and greatest as well. My pick for this episode is going to be the Torg Eternity Free RPG Day Special. Uh, you could only get them on RPG Day during 2017. You're no longer able to restock them, but they've got a few copies sitting around, and you can get them for like 10 bucks. And, and just if you wanted to get a taste of the rules without having to buy into the whole thing and just get a quick, uh, an easy quick start, um, that's my pick. Uh, and I'm picking it specifically because uh, there's a good chance I'm going to talk about it during my bit tonight. Ah! Hey, it's me, Snark! I don't really like Noble Knights that much, but NobleKnight.com is okay by me. You know why? They got tons of products for me where I can just be hiding in dungeons and stuff like that. Also, it's it's really, really cool. I get to find all these bestiaries that I can fill my dungeon with and all kinds of goblin miniatures. So check out Noble Knight. They'll even buy old gaming products that you aren't using anymore, and they're awesome. NobleKnight.com. Make sure you tell them the Tome Show sent you. Uh, before we get into that, Michael, um, what, you sound like my mom. I know, right? <laughs> Maybe should I put on my teacher voice? Uh, no, we're good. <laughs> so uh, before we get into that, should we uh, set timers tonight? Since it's just sure, why not? Should we set it for the normal time and then just ignore it when we when we bypass it? <laughs> right, let's give ourselves ten extra minutes. Ten, ooh, twenty-five minutes each. Sure, that's a lot. That is a lot. Maybe five minutes. All right, we'll do 20 minutes each. Uh, yeah. And then feel free to go over it by about five minutes. Okay. <laughs> so, all right, so I am up first this time around. Uh, so I will go ahead and start my timer. Uh, so as I alluded to, um, I did a little bit of Torg playing uh, since we last chatted. Uh, I had two sessions that ended up uh, falling short on players. Uh, and at least one of them kind of fell short at the last minute, the second of the two. 
Uh, like that, the morning of, somebody sent a text and said, hey, by the way, I, uh, something came up. I can't make it today. I'm like, oh, shoot. Now we're like, it, there's only three people. And, and if I go into this dungeon, I might just kill them if there's only three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so luckily, the previous time that that happened, we did a one shot of Torg uh, Eternity. And uh, the players seemed to really like it. It was the same people coming back. And in that one shot that we did is actually part one of a three-part series. So we just did part two. Uh, and they got to play the same characters and have a good time. So so I can talk a little bit about Torg. I also have a lot that I'm planning. And my next session is in like two days. And I have like players I need to send information to like probably tonight after we chat. So I have that mm. stuff I can talk about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's... What do you want to start with? Uh, D&D for, for in a couple days or Torg for the last month? I'd Probably the planning. It sounds like that that's one where you might get the most value. Sure, sure. I, I And I will get a lot of value out of that. Um, although, man, do I, do I enjoy playing Torg. It is a fun game. Well, played- so give me, give me five minutes on Torg. All right. So, so are you familiar with Torg? No. I, I actually just hit it on Wikipedia while you're talking. Okay. So Torg was originally – uh, like what is it? A, an early '90s, late '80s uh, RPG, mm-hmm. uh, and it was kind of one of these RPG sit- settings that was like, "Hey, let's throw every random weird genre together and mash them up into one world." Uh, in 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 a way that like there were actually a couple of games that did this during that time period, right? Rifts is another one that comes to mind. Yeah, um, and so the idea is that. The, the world is full of this possibility energy uh, and there are reality raiders from other universes that are, you know, invading uh, the Earth simultaneously. There's a bunch of them that, that simultaneously invade our Earth in order to drain it of its possibility energies because our Earth happens to be particularly uh, – have a particular, particular abundance of possibility energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was recently, a couple of years ago, a Kickstarter, I think it was a couple of years ago, maybe last year, a Kickstarter anyway, um, to to redo Torg, right? And mm-hmm. so um, that is Torg Eternity. Uh, and it's been done by by um, some great people, some other des- some designers who, whose things I've seen before and some people I know from Twitter and whatever. Uh, so I was really intrigued and I never really got into the original, but I knew about it and was kind of interested in it. Um, so I decided to pick it up. And I ever since I got the, the first copy that wasn't quite done yet of the PDF of the main book, uh, I like was consumed with it. Like hmm. we, we did a, a – a, road trip down to Florida and I read it the entire way down and the entire way back as my wife drove. Uh, and I even, and, and it's just, it's really dense and, uh, it's got all kinds of fun things and it's, it's this genre mashup thing, but you're playing like these way over the top cinematic sort of characters that can alter reality and do insane things. And, um, it's, it's very much like if somebody wanted to make a, a game that, that sort of had the, the crunch of D&D, but felt like you were playing a movie. Um, mm-hmm. And yet you could ble- you could be in, in the savage dinosaur world one minute and then hop over to the, the cyber papacy where, you know, Big Brother, the, the cyber church, is, is constantly spying on everybody and giving them cybernetic implants that allows them to manipulate their minds one, the next minute. And then you go down to Egypt and it's the, it's the Nile Empire where it's, it's like 1930s pulp superheroes and and then in india it's victorian horror with vampires and werewolves and um so it's, it's all of that stuff 
and and it's 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 a lot of fun. We had a good time. Hmm. So so there's five minutes on Torg. Any questions? No. Uh, is it available for sale? I I couldn't find a place to actually buy it. So I think um, the kicks the people who supported on Kickstarter have have been getting their physical products. We've had the PDF products for a while. Gotcha. I think there may still be one or two rewards to come out. They've actually already announced their next one that's going to launch uh, by the end of this month, which is just focused on one of the one of the realities that's invading the living land. That's the dinosaur world. Um, Coming out by the end of this month, which is March, we said. Um, so I don't know that it's widely available for for purchase yet, but I imagine it will be like within a month. Because hmm. I've had it for since like, at least I've had the core book in an early in an early st- stage since like November. So they've had it more or less done for a while. Interesting. So there you go. Totally worth checking out. And if you want, again, Noble Knight, ten dollars for the uh, for the free rpg day special so you can sort of get a quick start and check it out and just try off a, a one shot so cool all right so that's torque uh that leaves me with my my normal 15 minutes left to talk about D. all right so um when last we spoke nothing has changed because we haven't played but the the gist is the the players are going th- into the deserts of the middle east now mm-hmm. um Towards a, de- a particular desert called the Rub al Khali, which is the kind of deserts that you know about when you are a, a history, social studies, and geography teacher, um, is an actual desert. But it sounds like a fantasy name, right? Mm-hmm. So they're they're working towards the Rub al Khali because that is the location of the next uh, piece of the Rod of Seven Parts that they are collecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I've decided that while they they trudge across there and it's not much of a trudge because we did all this not very interesting stuff in the previous session uh that i think i talked about last time um i've decided that i that i think i kind of want to throw a side quest in there just to to slow things down a little bit although it's been a month since they played but in, in game it's you know moving quickly mm-hmm. uh and and i want to introduce some other ideas there and i pulled an idea from Many different sources of inspiration. Like I'm, I'm reading different things, and I'm hearing different things, and I'm looking at different things, and I'm, and I sort of just mashed a bunch of stuff up together and said, "Hey, this would be cool." So, so the idea is this: um, in the Tome of Beasts, there is an ooze oasis creature. Are you familiar hmm. with that Tome of Beasts monster? I, I am familiar with Tome of Beasts, but not the ooze oasis. Yeah. So the ooze oasis is like the the water of an oasis out in the desert is actually a giant living ooze. Okay. Right? Yeah. Uh, but it it's not your typical ooze in that, like, y- you go up and you're thinking, and it acts like a mimic, right? And you go up and you try to drink your water and it, and it attacks you and tries to destroy it, right? right? Instead, like, you drink from it and it's fine. And then that night when you fall asleep, it gives you weird visions and you wake up with a geas of some sort of ah. quest to complete, right? Hmm. So it's like this weird, like, manipulative, um, quest-giving ooze. Uh, And so my idea was to use that and um, have the the quest that's given be something along the lines of going to some nearby ruins that they didn't even know existed, but because of the vision, they'll know it's there, Mm -hmm. um, in order to retrieve the heart of a dungeon. 
Uh, and the idea of that actually comes from a book I'm listening to, an audiobook I'm listening to with my oldest son called Dungeonborn, wherein there are these dungeon hearts and they, you know, uh, appear in places and then like grow and, and coalesce and become living sort of sentient dungeons that populate themselves with, with hmm. monsters and what have you. Uh, and I thought that was kind of a cool idea. So what if the ooze has some sort of connection with this sentient dungeon heart and needs it to be retrieved, although the dungeon heart doesn't know it needs to be retrieved, so it's going to fight back and resist. Uh, and then it occurred – and then I'm also listening with both of my children because we have different books depending on who I'm with in the car. Uh, I'm listening to uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Mm-hmm. And there was a scene where um, they're in the caldera of a volcano and looking for this tunnel that goes into the center of the earth. And it turns out you have to crack through the glass that is formed um, on the volcanic rock. uh, And then the tunnel's actually underneath. Hmm. So I had this idea of, well, we're in the desert. It's post-apocalyptic. What if part of the vision they have is a mushroom cloud? Because there used to be a city out here in the desert, and it was wiped out by by a nuclear blast way back, you know, how, whoever knows how, however, however many long ago. And now there's just this weird, giant, circular plane of glass where the desert city used to be. It's, hmm. You know, it's been turned to glass from the, from the blast. And the dungeon is actually underneath, and you have to find the location, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and to help them find the location, I also was inspired by something I read in Warlock, also published by Cobalt Press, who, who does the Tome of Beasts, about a location in Midgard where there is sort of this endless sort of spiral stair going up over top of a building. And so it occurred to me, okay, well, that, that now it's coming together, right? There's a spiral stair. It goes up into the heavens infinitely, right? It never ends. It's kind of the, the spiral staircase concept from Planescape, if you know that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the, the dungeon heart and the sentience of the ooze actually came from wherever the end of the spiral stair is and fell uh, out of that spiral stair and landed in the ground and became the two different things that they are. But maybe they're, um, you know, they're, they're intended to be together. Maybe they're one, two parts of one whole or whatever, right? So they need to be rejoined. Uh, and so then I got to figure out, okay, well, it used to be a city, so what is the dungeon? Uh, well, what would be underneath you know, the city, underneath a building or what have you? Uh, and so it occurs to me, of course, the dungeon is an old parking garage, and the living dungeon has, has um, purposefully moved about uh, shipping containers to create the walls of the dungeon. Hmm. So the, wall, the dungeon is a parking garage with, with uh, a sentient sort of... Uh, gem that that controls everything and it's moved shipping containers to create the dungeon. Uh, I can make it small enough that that I can, you know, it it doesn't have to be like a multi-session dungeon. We could probably run through it in one or two sessions, no big deal. Um, But also have this this fun little this fun little jaunt. Mm -hmm. Following along with all that? Yeah. All right. Uh, One more wrinkle and then I have questions to ask. Sure. Uh, the one more wrinkle is uh, in the last session, the one that I, I continue to feel didn't go particularly well. Um, one of the things that happened was a, a character that was killed by Orcus uh, was actually saved by, by Frazer Blue, his, his warlock patron. I don't know if you remember this story. Um, and, and came back as a wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, it had been, you know, like 50 years for him, but, it, but only, uh, you know, a week or so had passed for everybody else. Right. Um, and part of the deal is you are back. I've saved you. I've trained you as a wizard, uh, but you have to summon me, right? Right. You have to bring me back to the world. This is all part of the demon plague stuff. 
this is this is connected to the to the out of the abyss stuff. Out yeah. of the abyss stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I've I've actually and I I went to the the fifth edition Facebook group as well for some advice on on this as uh, and and so. I, I kind of want to figure out, like, what are the things he needs to collect and uh, what are the components that he needs to collect in order to summon Frazor Blue? And I kind of want to know that first so that I can figure out what the heck to, that I might want to start sprinkling into places like this dungeon that he might run into. Right. And be able to start collecting. Because um, I don't want that. I don't. I, part of me, like, I was like, this is this kind of storyline that could drag out for a really long time, but. How patient is Frazor Blue really going to be after he's already, you know, helped train him for 50 years? So, so let's start with that. Uh, ideas for components that could be used to uh, summon Frazor Blue. Are you familiar with Frazor Blue? I'm, I'm looking him up in Out of the Abyss now. Yeah. He's, so he, he's, is he the gargoyle guy? He's kind of gargoyle-y. Uh, he, he only appears actually uh, in Out of the Abyss in the form of a gem. Okay. In Mantle Dareth, and I think I actually got the idea of futzing with that gym from from you talking on this ep- on this show. Hmm. Uh, so you may have forgotten that that the whole gym thing in Mantle Dareth. That's uh, where you had the the different factions fighting over it, and there was this weird thing of where the heck did the gym go, and who in, who has it now? And they're kind of trying to you know, there's the Drow and the the Durgar and the was it the Swerf Neblin maybe? Yeah, I remember the gem stuff. Right, the, the gem was in the the Durgar city, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, no, no, no. It wasn't the Durgar city. I don't somewhere else. No, it was. It was so. It was in Mantel Dareth, which is like the 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 trading okay, yeah. po- the trading post city where the different factions got together, including the Zentarim. Yeah, I cheated. I stuck. I stuck it in. You stuck the, it in uh, the other place. It was sort of random. Yeah. Sure. Like I rolled a random thing, and that he was the demon that showed up, and one of the one of the characters touched it, and they saw Frazer Blue. It was just a way of kind of getting. Yeah. You know, so so I I. Took inspiration from uh, um, uh, a storyline in in um, the Dresden Files, actually, and so they destroyed the the gym, sending Frazer Blue back to his home plane or whatever. Um, but I had this bit where the, the character who held it actually had a fragment of Frazer Blue still in his mind, and that's the one who became a warlock patron to. Frazor right. Blue, but didn't even know it was Frazor Blue because he's the freaking de- demon lord of deception. If he doesn't want you to know who he is, you don't know who he is, right? Right, right, right. Uh, and so uh, some of the suggestions that people had were things like, well, it play ups the idea of like um, um, smoke and mirrors, right? Deception, illusion, smoke and mirrors. Uh, for his components, uh, it's you could uh, uh, pull in the idea of... Um, so he was originally a, a demon lord trapped inside it. I think it was maybe inside the, the city of Greyhawk in Greyhawk and sort of the giant dungeon underneath the city. Um, he was trapped there. And so somebody was like, oh, what if they had to find the key that originally trapped him? You know, that the, went to goes to the lock that originally trapped him under Greyhawk and whatever. Uh, so these are some ideas that I'm kind of playing with. And I've got some 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 ideas to play with. But I'm curious what uh, what you what you've got to think uh, to think on there. Yeah. So so looking at his uh, description and out of the abyss, it des- it describes the fact that he's trying to recover pieces of the staff of power. Mm hmm. So those are those are some components, and depending what level are your characters? Thirteen ish, I think. So so their staff of power level, right? Like sure. that would be a neat that would be a neat item for them to be able to get. And if you if you sort of have these pieces, I know they're already 
Are they? Is this still Route of the Seven Partsy? This they're they're actually in the middle of a quest for a piece of the Route of Seven Parts. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know about finding two different <laughs> two different broken rods, but right. Um, uh, it's you know possible that kind of finding the head of it and finding the you know part of the shaft and mm. part of, you know maybe just three pieces right that are held by three three people, but. And normally they've been spread all over the world, but now because of the the rise of the demons, you know they're bringing it together. And the groups that have it could be groups that are deceived by Fraser Blue. You know that that you know there could be like a good group that has it that mm. thinks it's a divine thing, and they're mm-hmm. actually worshiping a, a they're worshiping an like a fallen celestial or like a trap celestial. Well, that trap celestial is Fraser Blue. Um, so it'd be kind of fun to to go after three different groups that all think they are doing something completely different than what they're actually doing, which is trying to bring these three items together. And if the characters manage to do so, and, well, I mean, is, is, is the summoning of Fraser Blue the thing you actually want them to do? Um, I don't, I don't know that I care either way, honestly. It's, it's an interesting wrinkle because it's something that the character who was saved from Orcus, right? This is sort of the cost is as I, I gave I gave him this wrinkle. Yeah. I just uh, think like would the other would the other players be like why the hell would we spend two well, sessions and that's part bringing of the thing. a demon into the world. The other players don't know that he has or wants to do this. So he's trying to figure out ways to do it without them knowing it. And so that's okay. part of the trick so as well. So he actually knows that he's summoning Fraser Blue. Yeah, person. he he knows. Uh, and I don't know right. that like so okay, I, like I, I'm imagining the scene. Like, let's say he successful, uh, successfully summons Fraser Blue. Um, I don't know that Fraser Blue then like messes with him. He's like, I think he just sort of appears, you know, bows and says thank you, and dis- and, and disappears to go off to to do his own machinations, you know. And he might pop right. in later and and cause trouble, but at the time, you know, whatever. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So I mean, depending, like my, my my group would hate this. My wife would never talk to me again. Um, but having the other characters think that they are putting together this staff to restore a fallen celestial like they they could be tricked by mm. this entity right and they f- go through it and he's more than one maybe the maybe the character knows that this thing that they're trying to restore is Fraser Blue but nobody else does and he has to deceive them which of course is and he has also, to deceive them which becomes yeah. one of the components the, the the deception itself. The deception, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a paladin has to be the one to put it together. Is there somebody in your group that's particularly good? Um, I mean, there's no paladin like, or there's no paladins or clerics or anything like that in the party. I mean, there's people right. that are good, but right. Yeah. Huh. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, I, I think that, but that staff of power thing is kind of nice. Like you know, put it together. He is summoned. And the staff can become something that is carried by the characters. Mm-hmm. That's a, a, a nice way to, you know, give a hefty reward. Yeah, I like that. I like at least that gives me some some things to add to some of the ideas I already had, um, and I think I can put something together there. I'm, and I may not do like collect the parts of the the staff because they're already kind of doing that with the rod, right? Right. Um, but it could certainly be like, you know, somebody that is already being manipulated to work for Fraz, like you talked to, has maybe already collected the parts, and now you have to go get it from them uh, and in combined combination with some other components in order to do the thing. So, so right, there's some good right. ideas. There. I, li- I like the idea that, that in order to summon him, you must have people 
participating in the ritual who have been deceived into doing so. Right. Like the like the players. So good. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so let's go on to my next question. Sure. Um, question two. We're going into a dungeon in a uh, parking garage. Mm-hmm. One le- level of a parking garage because I don't want to make it overly complex. And I actually looked for a bunch of dungeons I could just pull because uh, it was last minute and I just wanted to pull something you know quick. Right. Um, and and top of my list actually ended up either being um, White Plume Mountain or I was going to pull your dungeon from, was it Eldritch Layers, the Kobold Press? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, so that one was another one. I'm like, hey, this is kind of has a modern twist and I could change the story and some of the, the window dressing and call it post-apocalyptic and it would work. Right. Um, right. But then I ended up having time because we didn't play that week. So I had two weeks and right. I, I decided to put this other thing together. So there, there anyway, parking garage. Walls made out of storage containers um, or shipping containers. Every now and then, they're going to run into, like, you know, the opening of a shipping container. And I'm kind of thinking I should put interesting things inside of the shipping containers. Like, they're not going to get anywhere that way. But mm-hmm. but let's have them open up some shipping containers and see what they find. Um, so what should they what, be finding in shipping containers? Uh, what time period would the shipping containers have come from? Uh, the... It, so it could be anywhere from the near future from now, you know, so right. you know, 15, 20, 30 years from now, uh, time period that would be before the event that changes the world and brings magic in and all that. Or it could be during the transition after the event has happened and magic is starting to seep into the world and, and humanity is still trying to fight, find ways to fight back against it, which we right. know that they're ultimately going to fail to do. Right. Um, so two sources that might be fun. Uh, if you don't mind fantastic items, like kind mm-hmm. of far future items, uh, the Numenera ciphers would be a good thing to mine. Do you have Numenera? I don't. Uh, I bet you can find something online. I bet you there's like... So Numenera has this really neat concept called ciphers. I think uh-huh. they're called ciphers. And they are like the one-use magic items um, that, you know, they're they're high power and they, they have a big effect on the game and they're they're often quite crazy. So to be like, you know, a cloak that makes you, you know, you could have like the cloak that makes you invisible, um, you know, that you can use once, right? And it lasts a day or whatever. So okay. it's, you know, and there's all kinds of things. So I would, I would, I'd be surprised if there wasn't some kind of online Numenera cipher generator. Okay. Um, Numenera itself, it's, it doesn't help you, but Numenera itself has like a big deck of cards and you can sort of, draw cards from the from the cipher you know from the cipher list and and it's it's kind of a neat thing and i i believe that that idea came from uh gamma world so uh bruce cordell worked on gamma world the fourth edition the the fourth edition version and that had these like power you know powerful items that were on cards you know magic items they were sort of like the, the the gamma world equivalent of magic items yeah um, and you know, that was, it was this kind of neat way. I actually like, I, I, I created a thing for fifth edition called relics. And if actually you could use something like this, if you wanted to, um, I created this, this idea, I think I, I created is a strong word, um, called relics and relics were, um, single use. They were, they're mundane items that have a single use, powerful, magical thing attached to them. And the example, and so I just ran. I have a I have a website where you can generate your your relics, and it uh, creates these things. So it's like a ru- a rough orcish ring that casts conjure woodland beings, is you know an item, or a decorated undead candle that casts guards and wards, or an ancient gothic gemstone that casts fine steed. 
So some of them are dumb, but sometimes you look at it and go, okay, mm-hmm. that one's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. An old goblin bell. Here, I love this one. And that just, yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about this on my turn, but um, randomness. Uh, old goblinoid bell that casts Otto's irresistible dance. Right? How perfect is that? You know, somebody pulls out a bell and rings it, and everyone has to dance. Um, so you could steal. So I don't know if you do. You have the fourth edition version of Game World anywhere? Yeah, yeah. So that might be. You might dig into there because I think it had some crazy ass items in there. That might be fun things people could find inside of a cargo and in, in, inside of a storage container. One other. So the, there was a story that went around before about. Um, uh, a parking garage in Japan that was software driven. You drove your car in, it would sort of stick your car in a bay and it was robotic. And then the people that ran it lost the license agreement with the company and they, and it stopped working and everybody's car was trapped in this garage oh, while, the, while the company that owned the garage couldn't get anyone's car out because they weren't paying the licensing cost. It was this awesome story, like this modern story of how. Is this like the car was. elevator tower parking? Yeah, thing? yeah, I remember was, seeing it, that. Yeah, and and they had like loaders. They looked like loaders from Aliens, oh. you know. So they picked your car up and stuck it into a bay, and so it'd be kind of fun to run into something like that. That might be a little bit more interesting than than the cargo, you know, straight cargo containers. Might be these sort of machinery that sort of digests cars, you uh-huh. know. Um. That doesn't have to do with what they could find in the, inside a cargo container, but it might yeah, be something like that. Something, you know, what would I throw in there? Yeah, which, in, which in was a, actually going to be my next question. Well, my next question was going to be about if we had time, which is going to be about like what kind of cool things could I throw into the dungeon too? But I so mean, that, you if you want sort of a living dungeon idea, the idea that the living dungeon is an AI-controlled parking garage mm-hmm. that has gone crazy, right, and wants to park things, right. <laughs> like. It has eaten a planet in order to park cars, <laughs> and there's like dead people inside the cars that were trapped in there. You know, like uh-huh. they, it. It just, you know, that would that seems like a neat. What about interesting mundane things that they could find from the the old world? You think in the in the shipping containers? Well, man, I mean, you know, the world's your oyster. There's got to be sort of a random somewhere. There's got to be a good random list of you know random crap. But well, I guess that I goes know. back to Gamer World, right? Gamer World had yeah, had well, that's the, what I'm ran, saying. Like, the random it, junk. It, to me, generally. it's like I, I would want something more. You know, I'm picky, right? So I'd want something more than than stuff we have today. I'd want weird stuff from the future. You know, like even if it's near future or far future, I want to see like strange things. So like, you know, go go through your favorite science fiction movie. You know, go through um, Fifth Element and Blade Runner 2049 and um ghost in a shell random things and just yeah just write down working again but yeah right right and and you you could sort of write down so you know the you know i don't know like yeah like a spinner you know blade runner they have spinners so it's like well here's a car but it looks like it can fly you know right it it looks it's got big jets on the bottom of it or you know a car would be novel for them they've never seen or heard of anything like a car yeah so well but but the players know what a car is the idea that you're describing things that are about the car that they can't put their heads around right would would be fun you know absolutely there's Um, some good ideas there yeah the uh total recall you know here's a taxi cab that's got a robot driver right you know stuff like that Uh uh-huh absolutely i like it I've got lots to play with there, and, and now I've got, you know, like, less than 48 hours to, like, roll Working it all, roll it all around in my it head. Out, and, man. And That's what it. we do. That's our yeah. job. We, we I still figure got, it out. I still got to prep for my game tomorrow for my after-school gaming club, and I haven't read the, <laughs> I haven't read the adventure yet. So. Right, right. 
That's 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 what planning period on Friday is for. Oh, yeah, I got great papers to grade, but that'll have to wait. I got D&D I, I in this do mine, As you know, I do mine a half hour before the game begins. Yeah, yeah I, 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 more often than, than I would like, and that's where I'm at, especially with, <laughs> with the gaming club. So. Yeah. All right, very good. So I, I, that is you know lots of good things for me to chew on, and I am well out of time. Um, uh, although I didn't even realize I was telling a, a story with mine of, of ways of finding inspiration from all kinds of stuff because I was had like what two books and a movie or two and yeah, all right. kinds of stuff and right. all kinds of sources of inspiration that I'm pulling from to make this all a, a completely different, unique thing. So right, right. Um, so uh, before we let Mike talk about his game, though, uh, we want to point people to ways that they can support the show. Besides going to Noble Knight and letting them know that you came from the Tome Show, you can also go over to Amazon, following the links through thetomeshow.com. You can go to the DMs Guild from the same place. The Amazon uh, money gets shared with all of the great creators who help make things on the show. Uh, I think I even throw money at Mike every now and then. Yay! Uh, as well as all the other people who edit, host, or, or otherwise work on the show, I try to. That's the money I, I try to spread out and, and share with those people. Um, the DMs Guild money goes towards buying PDF products that we then review on the show. So whenever we do one of those PDF reviews, uh, it's either. Um, products that we got for free or as often as, uh, as review copies or as often as, as possible, I'll buy a few things using the DMs Guild money that you guys uh, help us earn. Uh, and of course, if you want to skip all of that and support the show directly, go to patreon.com slash the home show where you can become a patron of the show. Whenever I've got questions about what we're going to talk about or, or what advice topic we should talk about or what we should, who we should be interviewing and any of that, uh, we oftentimes go to the patrons first and give them the first chance to sort of share their thoughts um and i need to thank them some of them by name it's been a while uh it's been a few weeks since i've recorded an episode where i've thanked the the patrons by name so i want to make sure to do that now keith Bryan, jill sanders garrett collin uh christopher gray leonard pelche leonard uh, jeremiah mccoy matt bible doug palmer mark richmond dan simmons bruno gons jonesi jonies i don't know how to pronounce his last name uh, but I want to thank all of you and all of the other patrons of the Tome Show for supporting us. <sighs> Mike, yo, tell us about your game. Well, so I've got a couple games going, but I'm going to primarily talk about my Tomb of Annihilation game. Uh, spoiler warning: if you are planning to play through Tomb of Annihilation and don't want spoilers, you probably want to skip parts of my chat i'll wait, try to be wait 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 so you're not running two of the same game anymore you're doing different games uh, no so my wednesday group is we're taking just a little break and running running some side stuff but they're probably going to jump into tomb themselves okay so we're, we're doing some like little you know little fun events still, that, uh, still, still D D or other trying out other things no it's still fifth yeah it's all still okay. fifth edition D D. So yeah, but but primarily we're yeah yeah we're, we're they're they're probably two sessions away from starting um uh, from starting Tomb of Annihilation, and they will probably start at fifth level rather you're, than you're not. You're not playtesting Pathfinder two yet. I'm not playtesting Pathfinder oh, two. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so. but I'm interested, man. Oh, so, so let me give five minutes about Pathfinder two. I think it's fascinating, and I'm I'm very happy to see it. I I play I have played Pathfinder, and I'm a fan of Pathfinder. Um, I am I I just love the fact that we have it right. I love. I, I love the fact that the range of RPGs is so wide, uh -huh. and, and I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to do because I want to see them take that 
you know, continue along the vector that they've been going. And my only fear is they're going to land too close to fifth edition. Right. I, sure. like I've, I have fifth edition. I don't want fifth edition. Right. And I don't think they are. And I think they're smart enough to figure it out. So every time that, you know, and the design that I've been reading, every time they make a design decision, I'm like, well, that seems kind of weird. I go, well, they're smart people and they know their game better than me. Right. So, you know, I, yeah, I, don't, no, I, I don't, think I don't have to, you know. Yeah, I think the I imagine the uh, the the risk is that you either land too close to fifth edition or you land too close to what you already had. Yeah, um, right. You know, right. And exactly which, nailing that. Like, how do we how do we maintain? I think it's a fascinating idea. How do you maintain the heart of Pathfinder and right. clean up the parts that need to be cleaned up and not land too close to well, fifth? So, which is which was the I'm, same time as the fifth yeah. edition I have for D anD D, right? Yeah, well, fit, yeah, that was a little different, right? Fifth, fifth design was how do we maintain the legacy of a forty-year RPG? Right. You know, well, like it's, Pathfinder, it's, if they wanted to, they could say, you know what, we're getting rid of stupid attribute scores. Right. You know, we're just going to do attribute bonuses, and it'd be like, okay, that's cool, that makes sense, right? Well, like, and, and I would, are, I would argue, are done. I would argue it's the exact same challenge. It's just that Pathfinder has a much less yeah, like, right. lengthy legacy. Yes, you are correct. They can't. They they just like they, they, the previously mentioned getting rid of attribute scores is probably too big a jump. But boy, I probably would. I'd be like, you know what? They're just dumb. Um, especially considering <laughs> that Pathfinder is a brand that was founded on people who said, "Screw you! I don't want to change games." Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that. And and yeah, there's a lot of like people talking about, hey, you know, I'm going to Pathfinder because I don't want to switch editions all the time. And everyone's like, ah ha ha. Right. So whatever. I, I I I'm all I have is joy in my heart. I think Absolutely. it's great. I'm excited to see it. I'm I'm happy for for and, and I've got two two very good friends of mine are both big Pathfinder people. One one is now playing Star Starfinder, and I've been chatting with them a lot because. I don't know. Like one guy, he's like, well, I don't really know that I have much to say about it. And then he wrote like this huge long email um, about, <laughs> you know, the current state of Pathfinder. It's because he plays a lot of it. So sure. it was really, and I don't know. Like I didn't know all this stuff. So it was fascinating. Uh, but no, I am not playtesting Pathfinder 2. All right. Well, there um, you go. There's, there's so I have, three and a half minutes on Pathfinder. Great. So I have two major topics that I wanted to talk about. Um, and one of them is randomness. The importance of randomness and creativity, and I can't remember if we've talked about this already on the show. We might have already talked about this. And two is um, encounter building, one of my favorite topics. Of, you know, in of the late, since yeah, yeah you since spend, not you even spent a lot of time thinking about encounter. Building. I spend a lot of time thinking about encounter building, and it, and it comes up in my games. So right. I'm gonna so talking about Tomb of Annihilation. My group has been traveling through the jungles of Chult, and uh, they've been doing a lot. They are f- flaming fist mercenaries. Mm-hmm. So they've had a lot of like interesting flaming fist mercenary intrigue with Fort Bellowarian up in the northeastern part of the peninsula, okay, or whatever the hell it is. is it peninsula, I don't even know what it is. Um, an island, whatever. And now they've yeah, been. I think, Chult, I think Chult has been an island since fourth edition. I don't think it went back to being a peninsula, but maybe it is again. I don't know. All I know is in the map, the right side is cut off, so I can't tell what the hell it is. Right. Um, and maybe they so, did that on purpose because they just didn't want to answer that question. Yeah, make, make it whatever you very want. Well could be. Third, yeah. edition, third edition and before, it was a peninsula. Fourth edition, right. they made it an island. You know, you can right. do go either way. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I have been trying, you know, like, there's been lots and lots of discussions about the hex crawl and whether one should do the hex crawl. And uh-huh. some people are really opposed to it. They're like, I don't like him, and I'd rather just use 13th age style montages, which is fine. But I've been like, well, I want to, you know, they put a lot of effort into it, and I want to try it, and I want to see what it's like. So I, I read up on it, and I, I, I did a research about whether, you know, the weather systems in, in, uh, the DMG and ex- exploration and exactly how that works. And we've been do- 
doing it that way. And it's not slow, right? It's kind of like, okay, here are the different duties that everybody needs to fulfill. Who's going to do what part? Like, who's going to be the scouts? Who's going to be the guides? Who's going to maintain provisioning? You know, who, and, and then what other odds and ends that need to be done? And usually two characters will pick each of them so that they have advantage on that particular topic. And it and it works fine. And, and it's so, that's been interesting. And then I roll to see how crappy is the weather today. And then I usually roll three dice uh, all at once to say, are there any encounters in the morning, afternoon, or evening for that particular day? Um, and there, are, there usually are, because I think it's like, it's one chance in four that it's any point, right? Okay. And, that, and then, so you're, you're definitely going to get, you know, you're, you're likely to get one of them, right? You have, I don't know what the exact odds are, and math is yeah, hard. And those but... things always feel weird to me. Like whenever, like when I'm running out of the abyss and you're traveling through the underdark, or or in, yeah. your, in your case, traveling through Chalt. Like these are the places you're never supposed to go because they're super dangerous, right? And and the you know the one in in four chance of an encounter three times a day, yeah. um, is not doesn't feel nearly as deadly as it should be. But I don't want to know that I'd want to go through the slog of doing more random encounters. So. Well, my so my group has definitely felt like, oh my god, have we stepped into some stuff that's way beyond us? All right, good. And and now, so here's 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 the thing, which is I I roll randomly, but I hang on loosely, right? I don't I don't. Like if I roll it and it's like, well, they've already done that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it again. Sure. Right. I'm not a slave to it. I don't like, and if I roll and two of the three were both encounters, I'll, I, I don't say like, well, you're going to have an encounter in the morning and an encounter in the afternoon. It's like, well, I'm going to mix these together. And maybe it's like the account, the morning encounter is tracking them. And it's not until the afternoon encounter where they're dealing with that. And now the morning encounter shows up and ambushes them too. Sure. So I've been able to build some pretty interesting scenes that I had no idea before. Like I'm not preparing them ahead of time. And I had no idea they were going to occur. And one of them was like they're going down the river on a con on their canoes, and they, uh, you know, the water's kind of slow, and they're having trouble kind of getting through, you know, underwater vines and stuff. And then they look, and the Mad Monkey Fever Mist is coming up the river, like chasing them essentially. So they're like, oh my god! So they start paddling faster while the this you know, the mist is kind of rolling towards them, and they're rolling athletics checks to see if they're going to be able to outrun the mist. And then all of a sudden, out of the mist bursts a swarm of flying snakes, right? And this flying snakes, and by the way, like this will get an encounter building side. They're like CR one quarter, but boy, do they punch hard! Oh yeah, like yeah, they have AC four. They have they have they have plus four dexterity. I think so, I think that's why a friend of the show Dan Dillon oftentimes recommends them as a, uh, a Beastmaster Rangers beast. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, they are fantastic. So they only have like, I think they have like six or seven hit points. It's it's low on hit points. But right? if they're a Beastmaster Rangers beast, AC, they're hardier than right? that. It's it's AC fourteen and it has plus six to hit and does one d ten damage mm -hmm. because of poison. So it does it does like one it does like one point of piercing plus one d ten poison or something like that. And it hits, and, it, and it's plus six to hit. So it's it's hitting harder than almost anything else at that at that level. It, it's hard, It's hitting as hard as like CR twos. So I threw like I rolled the dice, and like fourteen of them attacked. Right, and it's not bad. They're fourth level or fifth level. I think they just hit fifth, so I think they were fourth. Okay. But they hit it with like burning hands and thunder waves, right. and they got rid of a bunch. And you know, they're, like they're only like six hit points or something. They're pretty low. And uh, but then there's like one that they just couldn't hit, and it's hitting everybody. You know? like, <laughs> I started and I made it like the epic flying snake, right? The I flying snake name, god. And it's right, and it's like black skin with a red line that goes across its back, and you know, it's it's angrier than the other ones. And meanwhile, oh. 
guess what we forgot about? The Mad Monkey Mist, right? right? So now the mist rolls in, too. And they're like, oh, God! Like, two of us are in the mist, and we're going crazy and going mad. And, you know, and then every time they go mad, I'm like, well, how do they go mad? What do they learn about? Like, what's... And that's when I use my secrets. Like, they have, you know, weird... Oh, sorry. They have visions of, of you know, a Sararak and his, and his soulmonger. So I can use the fact that they went crazy. There you go. To dick with them, but also teach the teach them, but show them something. But you're telling the story. Know. Yeah, right. That's my so problem. That that's my idea. problem with random encounters. Is well, that, this is, is that this it's is a lot of time it, and it doesn't tell the story. A, it's not a problem with random encounters. It's a problem with you. Yeah, no, I get that. But, <laughs> like but that's, it's, but right, it's my me, problem with random encounters. <laughs> okay, right, right. So then that's kind of the thing where people – the biggest complaint people have is they say random encounters aren't part of the story. You make them part of the story. Sure. Right? That's what I enjoy. Like I'm not saying – I'm not telling anybody what to do You know, if people prefer it another way. But like what I find is I already know what elements of the story are going on. My job is to weave those elements of the story into the random encounters and what what ends up happening is crazy ass mad monkey fever filled with flying snakes on the river. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, you know, that's way better than something I'd have come up with, you know, on my own. So, so the, the, the joy of sort of, and so that was one week, the next week it was, uh, Pteranodon, uh, ter- yeah, Pteranodons. They, they, so I rolled and it was the Terra folk yeah. and I rolled the amount and it was like six of them. And I didn't even look to see how hard they were. It turns out Terra, you know, Terra folk are pretty hard. They're CR ones, I think. So they're 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 not tiny, um, and um, then I also rolled. So I rolled and I rolled another one, and it was it was pteranodons, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I had the group. The group saw that there are these weird pterodactyl humanoidy kind of creatures that are following them, but they rolled well in their stealth, so they couldn't figure out exactly where they were. But they knew something's tracking them while they're making their way through the jungle, and they um, then they come upon a nest of pteranodons. And they're like, huh, that's interesting. And then there was like this weird whistle in the air and it drove the pteranodons crazy who then attacked the party. And the party's like, what the hell is that whistle? Well, that was the terror folk who who were setting them up, right? So they're like, they had no problem with the pteranodons because they're pretty low CR. But then all of a sudden they get attacked by terror folk and they're like, we got to get the hell out of here. Like five of these guys hit and they attack three times and they're doing like 18 damage. We're going to get killed. So then they like ran into this cave and they found this like ancient artifact of one of the, or not that ancient, but like a 70 year artifact of one of the trickster gods. So now they're learning about the trickster gods and then they got involved in this underwater thing. So it's like the random encounter drove me to kind of come up with another interesting thing, which was this trickster God monument, sure. which I, I used my, I have a, I have a, I don't know, I'll probably post it in a Cyflourish article pretty soon. A uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic feature generator that's focused on Cholt. So it, it, it's kind of like, you know, weird alter to whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, and so, so here, here's my issue. Yeah. Um, both of those are great, and and we've talked about this before, and we've talked about you've mentioned before the idea of using random encounters and and injecting using your creativity, injecting story and ways of right. doing that. Uh, when I'm running a a travel scene with several random encounters, um, I I can come up with like one, maybe two of those great ideas per session, and you gave one example for two sessions. Um, it's hard to inject two the example. story. I, I in give you all two examples, them. one in each session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flying, yeah. flying, mad monkey fever, flying snakes was two weeks ago. Last week was was the pteranodons and terrafolk. Right, yeah. right. So, so like, 
Yeah, at least you're doing it enough that it reminds them that there's a story out there. And you're introducing concepts that further the story, and that's awesome and something that I think the adventure will benefit from, um, from my my thorough read-through of the adventure. Um, But how do you bring the story every session, and how do you remember what is there, what the elements are and what aren't? Like, I feel like I would at least need, like, an index card full of like the 10 different random things that are going on in the story that I can pull out and, and yeah. integrate. Right? Yeah. Right. That, that to me um, is like that idea of secrets. Like what are the, what are the 10 things about Schultz that they need to learn? Well, but, then, learn? But, but then there's this weird balance. Like on one hand, um, I want everything that we spend time on to further the story. On the other hand, like if everything in the entire jungle of Chalt has to do with this one story. Oh, right. Like, yeah, then, yeah. This, then the then Chult doesn't feel real or organic, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, well, the, yeah. So the whole, when they found that the 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 temple to Ijin, Ijin is one of the trickster gods. It's yeah. the one, it's the rabbit with the unicorn head. The horn, yeah. Yeah, and when they saw, like, that one didn't, you know, have anything to do with the Soulmonger or a Sararak or the, the Tomb of Annihilation or... Well, that they uh, know of. of. Yeah, well, I mean... I, I mean, eventually, like, they're going to learn about the trickster gods and stuff like that. It but, does have but, to do with them, but they don't know that. Right. That's, my point was they didn't, they didn't build that connection then, right? Oh, okay. I just see so it, it out. So it feels like a, a completely different, disparate thing. Yeah, and that for them, they were like, huh, like the trickster gods. You know, they hadn't heard anything about the trickster gods, so now they heard a little bit about the trickster gods. You know, and, and it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be a, like a, you know... It's not. It's not the FBI chart with all of the pieces of yarn. It's one dot, right? Well, and they learn about that you, one dot. For you, it is the FBI chart, but they don't yeah, see that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Except all I do is I look at like what are the ten dots. Well, and I you and I suppose you. I mean, there's enough going on in Chalt, yeah. uh, and in that hex crawl that like you could also throw in like hints of the fort in the north or the frost yeah, giants right. or right. the, the I did, red yeah. wizards. I throw in all these theories. Yeah. And the uh, yeah, right. The, the one that I threw in was a lot about um, Ross Nassi. You're right. Or Ross Nassi. Um, that's a perfect one. Uh, yeah. Because that one so, plays out so later, I, but isn't really yeah. related. Yeah. Right. Right. So I think that yeah. I mean that. Right. There's all like I. I. The, the, it's rich enough that I'm that I'm able to throw more stuff. Now maybe I'll get to the point where like man, they've learned every secret I can think of. Well, and, and at which point part, they show up at Omu. <laughs> and, part, and part of the issue is you don't want them to learn every secret. You want them right. to have hints so that yeah. when they re, when the secrets are revealed later towards the end of the story, right. then right. it's like oh cool, that's what that thing was. You know. Yeah. That's and sometimes the they just run more. into a dinosaur. Like not everything needs to be connected every time, right? Like you don't want it to be like they're just wandering around in the jungle fighting random encounters all the time right but you know it doesn't matter if every so often they know where they're headed and this is probably the harder part of it is do they know where they're headed and that they're headed in the right direction and if they hit a random encounter on the way that isn't tied to it it doesn't matter because they still know they're headed in that direction right see this is a conversation Um, we needed to have like a year ago when I was doing random encounters in the abyss. Well, I have a feeling in our lives we're going to be doing more random encounters. <laughs> this may come up again. Is that what you're saying? We yeah, I have a feeling there's been arguments. I bet in podcasts back in the 80s they were talking about this. Yes, um, yes, the podcasters in the 80s. The podcasters in the 80s, which I think was, was what we called two people talking. Two people having a conversation two in the Two people game having store. a conversation, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, now the other part is, like, yeah, I get that. It's like, wow, there's 28 hexes between Omu and, you know, between uh, Camp Righteous and, or Camp Vengeance and Omu. So are we really going to have 28 and, random encounters between? And, that, and that's assuming they even know where they're supposed to be going. 
Yeah, well, you know, that that to me is actually the harder part. Like the, the how to deal with random encounters is one thing. How to make sure that they have the threads to tie right. like that they know and and I what I've kind of figured out is like there's four areas that they could end up in where they're going to get the answers. And it's like right. do they do they meet with Nanny Poo Poo? Do they meet with the Naga at um uh whatever that temple right. places uh-huh. uh do they meet with you know the 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 Arako, uh, queen or, you know or, so there's Arc like arc december and, and or arc december yeah. yeah they they can meet and, and my group actually like stumbled onto three so they're gonna get lots of answers about it. they now know where omu is uh oh, they okay. had the whole thing where eku eku was their guide and eku is the um uh the kutail the quaddle the quaddle, the quaddle that uh, is hunting down Nanny Poo Poo and already knows where everything is. Right. Right. So I, I just milk that right there. So, so it's actually to some degree, it's almost unfortunate that they know where it is now because you said something earlier, I think, incidentally, that that it now occurs to me was pretty brilliant. You're occasionally you're brilliant on accident. You oh, know that? that's nice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you said something about how like at the point that it that it gets to this to this place where I'm out of secrets to reveal or whatever by, by yeah. exploration, yeah. then then they find Omu, right? Then, then they're there, right? Because because yeah. there's no reason unless they already know where Omu is supposed to be. That yeah. Omu has to be anywhere, as long as it's not like right next to to Mesro or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know they could just stumble on on or Omu and just put it where you need it to be because things have gotten less interesting. Yeah, I mean, it. I'll tell you one thing I'm kind of stuck with, which is they they so and this gets in my encounter building question, encounter building discussion. Okay. Um, they fought Nanny Poo Poo and she nearly kicked their asses. Um, in fact, one of the characters who was a little gnome. Uh, he's a gnome beastmaster, a gnome um, uh, circle the moon druid. Okay, and she beat the dog crap out of him. Like he was in bear form, and she hit him and knocked him so th- through his bear form into his normal form and all of the hit points in his normal form, and then dropped him to zero. Oh, and then and then hit him one time after that, so he had two death saves. And then picked him up in his arms and turned around with her claws in his chest and said, "Now it's time to have a conversation." <laughs> Well, he's going to murder the guy. Right. And, you know, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be interesting how this turns out. But they got all the secrets out of not. So they, they ended up killing Nanny Poo Poo. Um, and then Eku said, you, you did what I needed you to do. I'll tell you everything I know. And here's where Omu is. And here's, you know, what's going on. You know, general that didn't give a lot of secrets, but certainly said, here's where Omu is. But basically, I know the darkness is down somewhere in Omu. Um, but I didn't go there, so I don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, and then they said, huh, okay, well, let's go check out that Orolunga ziggurat. I'm still going. Um, <laughs> l- let's check out the Orolunga ziggurat. And, and I'm like, well, that's where the Naga is. That's and the, the Naga, Naga knew yeah. all the, that's all, he knew, you know, the Naga knows all the same stuff Eku knew. Right. So now I got to come up with more secrets. Like, so, what but the, I, what the know, heck is that? I'll figure it out. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, the, and, and my big thing is like, I'll, I'll, you know, maybe the I'll Naga spend 10 review- minutes, I'll think. Maybe the Naga reveals some of the secrets about Omu that that yeah well uh, like Rasnisi is still alive would yeah be a or, or that, that it's all the plot of of Asarak and Asarak you know, yeah whatever. right yeah. although I think I think well, they obviously already know that sure. so I think because I think um, Nanny Poo told them a little bit about that but you know it could be that you know the 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 tomb it could be the secret about the tomb right that that you know Asarak murdered the 
nine trickster gods you and know, I, use their tomb as his engine of destruction. Like that, that would be a piece of information they might learn. If I ever get to the point where I'm running Tomb of Annihilation, I think I wouldn't hate the idea of dropping the spoiler about um, yeah, the baby. The, right. Yeah, the, 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 he's space raising baby. a baby death death god because yeah. That, so I actually hinted at that already. Yeah, they, good. They, one of the characters like, got a vision of it. I yeah. feel like that should be a huge motivation that you don't sure. find out about until it's accidental. And it's like, no, this is supposed yeah, to be the right, climax. What are right. you doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to walk into the room and be like, what the hell's that? Right. You know. So yeah, I, I I've already hinted at it in a mine, and the, you know I don't know if I'm ready to have the oracle say it, but maybe the oracle would certainly hint at it. And then when they see it, they're like, "Wow, that's what he was talking about." Right? Because it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Um, but so the one last thing on the random encounter part is um, that, you know, if I get bored of the hex crawl, I'm gonna go ahead and montage my way through a whole bunch of them. Right. And then and then I'll 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 have like one interesting encounter along the way. So it doesn't have to be every single hex. You know, like it is like from from the you know when they go to the ziggurat. It's going to be a haul for them to get to Omu, and you know it's 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 a long distance. So I don't think I'm going to run them through a lot, but I'll probably run them through a few, and then we'll 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 quickly run through a bunch of days and kind of find interesting things. So I haven't gotten quite there yet, but I'm I'm I know that that eventually I'm going to get tired of counting hexes. Yeah, I was going to say because because honestly, the probably the thing that I am most hesitant about running in Tomb of Annihilation someday. Is the hex crawl like? Yeah, th- th- I have other issues with the adventure, and I think we've discussed those at length uh, at this point. But but all of those I can deal with. The hex crawl is so integral. Like, and, and I get it. Like, it's a, it's an appeal to a a classic form of of adventure that goes back to the the old days of D anD D, and they're trying to revive it and give an homage to the, all these different you know ways of playing the game and whatever. And that's cool. I get that. Um, right. But it was never a very interesting version of playing the game to me. Uh, and I've done it a few times, and it's fine. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, so- like I've I've never done it. You know, like I I, I ran a little bit of a hex crawl when I ran a playtest version uh, when I the D anD D next playtest, uh-huh. and I ran Isle of Dread. You know, which is obviously kind of the precursor to this, right? Sort of, you know, an homage to this is an homage. Yeah, to that and, and and we uh, we did it there, but you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah, the rules aren't exactly. Goodman clear. Games put out a fourth edition adventure that was an homage to the Isle of Dread that I ran, um, right. and so I did a lot of hex crawling in that one. It even came with like the map that came with it was uh, had the blank map with the hexes in it or whatever. Uh, yeah. But it was even like pre-laminated and ready for uh, you know use with a, a marker or whatever, so you could write in your ace on it and whatever. So. Right. So anyway, yeah. yeah, it's like it's like twenty-five days. So encounter building, I have uh, you know I've been God, I'm so obsessed with encounter building, and the reason why it's interesting is both my groups recently fought hags. And in both times, I was like, I'm pretty sure this hag's going to get its ass kicked. I better beef it up. And then both times, the hag nearly kicked the crap out of the characters. Well, and it was like, you know, this really small change that I made. Um, but, you know, yeah, it was it, – and, and bo- boy, it's memorable for both, right? Both groups are going to remember it for a long time. Um, but yeah. it, it, I mean it- – I, I tend to, at this point, uh, err on in the same direction you do. I think uh, you know when when your party walks in, when your what was what, what were they six level party walks into a room and, and yeah, kicks both, the crap out of a my, lich. Yeah, 
Yeah, right. Well, no, yeah. nobody, none of my groups killed a lich at six level. <laughs> but uh, when you did Curse of Straw, they they were relatively they low were level. they were pretty high. They were they were uh, tenth or eleventh level. No, they were pretty they were they were high enough. And then when my players, uh, and, and and yeah, I I did a few things in their favor or whatever here and there. But when they you know at thirteenth level defeat Orcus, even yeah. even with I've had me that, like I've had that happen. Yeah. Even with me making some choices where you know that that he wasn't as mean as he could have been, right? Right. Um, you still defeated Orcus with one death, you know, at yeah, 13th right, level. Right. You know, okay, that's it. Like, I, I don't yeah, I so really I, don't I, need to pull punches. You know, I had five level four characters that fought a green hag and a, um, uh, what the hell's the frog creature called that hag spawn? They're in Volo's Guide. Oh, um, um, damn it. They start with a B. The Bullywogs? Bullet, no. Bully. I don't know. They're frog creatures spawned by hag. I was oh, reading. Oh, they, they look like the little poison dart frog, frog things. Grungs. But they're bit. They're grung. No, 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 no. No. These are no, no, no. This is something else. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll I'll look it up here while I'm talking. So they um, uh, Volo's guide. Oh, I love D and D Beyond. Have I talked about how awesome D and D Beyond is? It's you so have awesome. not, and you just had an article published on D and D Beyond. I did today, so wasn't biased. it? I, it was yeah. on how to find a group. Bander, I would, I would, I would, I would totally have you on uh, an epi- the our review episode that's coming up later this month. Yeah, about but I'm it, totally except biased. you're pretty biased. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so. right, right. Um, Bander Hobbs. They are CR five. They are giant frog creatures that are spawned by hags. And yeah. so I had a Banderhob and a hag, like a hag and her child Banderhob, fight a party of four, five level four characters. And um, the modifications I made to the hag is that she got two attacks a turn instead of one. She could claw twice instead of once. Sure. And uh, she had her spells because she was part of a coven, even though they don't know about the other two. So she had some spells, but she only cast one spell. And she cast a fifth level or sixth level version of whole person that held, tried to hold everyone. And she only ended up holding one guy, but boy, she then beat the crap out of that poor guy. Cause she was doing <laughs> like critical hits twice, you know, uh-huh. and just, you know, and then the Banderhop swallowed my wife's character and the Banderhop can swallow. And she's stuck inside the, the, you know, she got knocked unconscious on her way down the gullet. You know, So it's like, no one can heal her because it's inside the uh-huh. Banderhop. So it was really brutal. But, um, you know, I, I'm constantly tweaking my, my rules of thumb for encounter building. And a recent podcast that um, uh, uh, Jeremy Crawford, uh, he had a conversation on Dragon Talk uh-huh. um, about encounter building. And he really kind of clarified exactly what we, you know, exactly what the intent is with, clar- with, with combat, with encounter building. And the question is, is this deadly or not? Right. Like of all of the things, it's not about is it balanced? You know, it's not about, well, I want to make sure they have an easy fight, a medium fight and a hard fight. It's about, you know, what makes sense for the story? What creatures are correct? And then is that going to kill them or not? Sure. Right. And then it's like, well, if, if that's if that's the simplification of the question, is this battle that I, is this encounter that I just put together? Is it going to be lethal? Um, then what is what? How do you how can you quickly and easily determine whether something is lethal? You know, and I've got like a bunch of head math that I use, so I'm, I'm I can figure it out. But most of it is like, are any of the creatures at a challenge rating higher than the level of the characters? You know, and it, and if if they are, is it the only creature? And if it's not, it's probably deadly. <laughs> it's okay. Like that's that's one way. Another way is if there are more creatures than characters, are they greater than one quarter of the character's level? 
And if the answer is yes, you know, they are, then it's also likely a deadly encounter. You know, so there's other there's other, you know, math that'll get you closer. But I think those two basic rules of, you know, are are the are the creatures lower, you know, are they are they higher than the level of the characters and is there more than one? And in this case it was the the, the Banderhop is C R five, right? Well, the characters are level four. So the fact that there's five of them doesn't matter because the Banderhob is CR5, and it's not the only monster. Right. And the, you know? and the hag is also higher level than them. The hag is CR3. She's oh, only a green oh, hag. she's not. Yeah. Okay. But I beefed her up because I gave her an extra attack, and I uh, gave her spells, and I think that knocks her up to, like, CR5 or something like that. Did you which adjust is still her hit, really... point, hit points accordingly as well? No, I, I, I did not. I, I gave her the same hit points. I gave her the same hit points that her stat block okay. has. They both had about 80, 85-ish hit points. Okay. And that ended up being fine. They killed both in the fourth round of combat so that worked out that's all right um so you know like i'm, I'm thinking about particularly like if, if the idea is I, I like to come up with encounters off the top of my head i don't like to sit down i used to plan out battles all the time right and and i still do sometimes like i knew last night you know they're gonna fight a banner hob and they're gonna fight a hag right in fourth edition yeah. i planned out every single encounter right. to the well, details. And now i i'm i am I'm getting away from that. Yeah, you know, now I'm, I'm now I away. now I have a list of I, I, my recent um, strategy has been I either do do screen grabs from the Toma Beast PDF, yeah, or, or I do actual pictures out of the page the monster stat block out of the page of the the monster manual, yeah, and then, and then I create a folder on my iPad and and I have just have a, so here's a collection of stat blocks for monsters that might fit into the story here and then I just make it up as I go but I have yeah I well, have like twenty to yeah. choose from right that's a great way to go yeah like I I when I one of my techniques which you can find by the way in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master mm-hmm. kick, Kickstarter's ending tomorrow um, so so what well, that anybody good news yeah sorry now, everybody but, if you if you heard this and you didn't back it you're uh, too late well they could buy it later. They will be able to buy it later. It'll be out later this later this year at slyflourish.com. Um, yes, at slyflourish.com. <laughs> but one of the, one of the things I do now, one of the steps is just list out the monster, list out potential monsters that the characters could fight, right. and I just you come up with them. And it takes like that's one of the fastest steps. It's like, well, there's going to be whites, and there's going to be zombies, and there might be ghouls, and there might be you know some kind of other intelligent undead thing. You know that's kind of like I guess wraiths are pretty good. At, at you know being they actually have mental capacity um you know and i don't look up i actually don't look up stat blocks or take pictures i i use either dnd beyond on my phone or i'll use my the books at my table you know I'll, I, I actually like just having the monster manual in sure. front of me and, and using the books right out of it um but boy i don't i don't spend a lot of time and 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 when we talk about tomb of annihilation you know, I, I the, the encounters are random, so I don't know what they're going to be. And when right. twelve flying snakes come out, I kind of looked at them and said, "What's the CR of a flying snake?" I'm like, "Well, one quarter. That's not so bad. Twelve isn't so bad." But then I'm like, "Man, they hit hard. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. They they almost wiped them out." So that one, it's like, you know, they were correct, but they were really hard anyway. And uh-huh. now, of course, you you're like, how do you add the challenge rating when Mad Monkey Fever shows up? So I, I really like this. You know, to me, the idea of like wiring into our brain. Looking at the monsters in front of us and going, is this going to be deadly? Uh-huh. Is an important skill. Well, I think. And, and I think. Without it, having to open up a DMG, to, without having to, to use Cobalt Fight Club. To clarify, if the answer to that question is yes, right. that, that doesn't mean don't right. run that encounter. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's know what you're getting into. Know what you're getting And, and, and what's your yeah, purpose? Like, 
Yeah, so my 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 when they were fourth level, the tome of the, the the my tomb of annihilation group, they ran into a zombie Tyrannosaurus Rex. And I gave them plenty of warning that it was coming. They were fighting the uh Bakari Goblin Batari Goblins. Right. And one of them had a bone horn and blew it, and a zombie Tyrannosaurus came storming out of the woods. And they're like, we know we could take Batari Goblins. We, we know we cannot take a zombie Tyrannosaurus. And I didn't even look at the challenge rating. You know, I'm like, I don't think they're going to try to stop and fight it. You know, but they're going to run. But if they run. do, you got the stats. But if they do, I got the stats, and I'm going to run it, right? right? Like, you know, I have not TPK'd anybody yet. So, um, no, yeah. but, but it's But, man, I, I mean, I've had a lot of and, – and it's largely been by luck. Um, because I'm just basically running stuff as is and whatever they run into, they run into. Right. And, yeah. I, and I'm throwing in whatever I make is sounds fun to me in the story and whatever. Right. Um, uh, and I'm, and I oftentimes don't even consider like, does this sound deadly? I imagine there's a, a, a subconscious, um, math that i'm doing in my head on some of that anyway right? yeah and, and 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 i really i really think it's sort of like just look at the challenge rating and say is the challenge rating of the monster right. higher than the characters and are there more than one is probably the big one but yeah. i've had i've had several encounters recently where the the players got into it and they and, and it had that that great cinematic moment of oh my gosh what have we gotten ourselves into and then right. they pull it off by the skinner to their teeth and i keep pulling it off over and over and over again uh on accident and now yeah. it's like the players like oh man that i love it when that happens that's the best that's awesome and i'm like great <laughs> i don't know how to do that again you know that's just, yeah right we just that's got luck. lucky a bunch you know right right yeah yeah that's the other one is i think like i i I fatigued my group by having too much hard stuff in a row Uh, and you know the the problem is they went from fighting you know a a hard fight which is sort of a climactic battle for them and then going into like a death trap dungeon and and the death trap dungeon i was using my random trap generator and it's just like they're getting destroyed well they like the the traps are really interesting and creative but they're just getting you know they're constantly dropping to zero and then having to heal we don't want them to be tired of death trap trap dungeons and tomb of annihilation i know it right (laughs) better be prepared for that so anyway i've gone way over time yeah we are we are uh the just the two of us without sam have now managed to podcast for like an hour and and, yeah an hour and eight minutes now so yeah good stuff Uh, yeah it's a good conversation i appreciate you coming on and, and and Oh yeah, no, me, so. love, love talking about this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. One of these days, uh, I, I hope to be invited on on the the deep dive. Uh, but we kind of just did that right now, right? So. Yeah, we, we you and I deep dive all the time. Yeah, we kind of do deep dive all the right, time. Right. So. But if you got a, do you have do you have a particular deep dive topic you want to you want to dive deep into? My, my issue is less about topics and more about time. So so some, someday. <laughs> yep. 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 Uh, well, anytime you need me, I'll I'll make the time. But but cool. that's that's you know that's neither here nor there. Yep. Uh, regardless, this is the end of Behind the DM Screen. So uh, I think we're just going to call it quits there and say goodbye. Bye, Mike. Goodbye, Mike. Oh, wait. <laughs>